Anybody got anything on their mind? On their heart? Yes. Galatians 2.20. Just, I mean, I think we could spend forever on Galatians 2.20, just going through it. Would you like to tell us what it says? Hmm? What does it say? Yes. We don't all have the Bible. <laughs> all right. We should. Uh, you, you know this. I'll know it when you say it. You know this. Know. I am crucified with Christ. Yes. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I didn't even get past the first five words. I am crucified with Christ. What does that mean to you? Because that's what I started twisting on. My life in the world is dead. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Yeah. My life is hid in him. Right. But there, so, I, I get that, and that's what I thought immediately, but then I thought, well, there's more, there's more depth, right, in that. Because Paul said, all he wanted to do was pre- preach Christ and him crucified. So to be crucified with Christ is obviously, in Paul's mind, the premier thing that he wanted to talk about all the time. right? So it's, it's, it's not, and I, and I think people look at that verse carnally so many times and think, well, I'm not going to go through the physical crucifixion, so what does it mean? right? right. It's, a, it's not the physical part of it. But it's the, it's the spiritual part that just, like I said, I've been kind of twisting on that one for a while, just thinking about what is the depth of the meaning of being crucified with Christ. There's so much there that it's life-changing, absolutely life-changing. So, You can build out Paul's entire theology from that one sentence. That's what I just said, yeah. It's Christ and him crucified. Yeah, you can, right. his whole theology you can teach from that one sentence. And Paul, I mean, the Pauline thought, I mean, they even call the Pauline thought in philosophy circles. So Paul isn't just like a guy that is read or debated or talked about in just church circles or quote-unquote Christianity right. circles. He's talked about in philosophy circles, right? I mean, if you actually, you know, the world tends to despise Christianity because there's like a worldly church that grew up in the world that isn't really walking according to Christ. Right. And so they like, you know, take a sword and beat people over the head. So the world's kind of despised Christianity and put it off to the side. But if you were just honest historically, Pauline thought has shaped the entire Western world. Sure. Pauline thought has shaped the entire Western world. Now we know he got his thought from Jesus. Right. But there is no there is nobody who talked about life and surmised about life and the meaning of life and where life is found and where it's not found and where life comes from and where it doesn't come from that is shaped more thought than Paul. Yeah. Right? right? And so, yeah, that that thought is a powerful thought. I am crucified with Christ. Right. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Amen. Right? Yeah. Nevertheless, right? He says, nevertheless, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. <clears throat> Right? And the life that I'm living now in the flesh, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God yes. who loved me and gave his life for me. So what do you guys think about that? 
it relates directly to what we were talking about on the way here. Which is so you, figure, guys, you guys are always ahead of us. Yeah. Well, well I, minutes, so we if you think they were unified by the same spirit, you'd have to say there's no coincidence, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So <clears throat> I was telling Callie, I came out the house this morning. The house is empty. The kids are gone. Lisa's uh, flying somewhere, and uh, the, the, the house is quiet. So I had a little time to sit. I'm coming out the house. Yard is cut. Things are in order. And I said, is this the good life? Look, we talk in biblical terms, and if you would go to the man on the street, he doesn't know what the heck we're talking about. We barely know what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> but if you, if you approach someone, you say, well, tell me, uh, do you have the good life? And if they think they do, what are they going to describe? They're going to give you a long list, all of which has one thing in common. It don't last. Mm-hmm. Grass keeps growing. Grass keeps growing. <laughs> House is going to have to be repainted sometime. Mm-hmm. Whatever you fix, eventually it's going to break. <laughs> Your body's not even going to last. Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking, who's got the, where's your sister? Where'd she move to? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, your, ne- your neck hurts hurting. <laughs> you, you're born into this life with a perfect little body that deteriorates. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's talking about, in, in I would put it in layman's terms, what's the good life? And so to be crucified with Christ is to die to the life that the world offers to you. Mm-hmm. It is, And yes. to be born again into the life of God, which is never-ending. Yeah, right. The first thing I think of, if I'm crucified with Christ, it's not about what I do. It's about what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early on, I used to think, as good people, because of my <coughs> default carnal thinking and incorrect teaching, I used to think that being crucified with Christ is I no longer do those things that used to be fun, <laughs> that are bad. <laughs> huh? There you go, the Christ. I mean, I can remember being on Bourbon Street in New Orleans before being born again and hearing someone someone had a bullhorn and a sign, repent. You know what right. repent meant to me back then? Stop drinking. Stop having fun. Yes. <laughs> that's not yes. what it means, not in that context. Maybe to them that's what it meant, but in the context of a conversation with Jesus, that's not what it means. Yeah. To them, it was change your life. To, to, to yeah. them, it was change your behavior. Behavior, yeah. Yes. So yeah. you can have a good exactly. life. Okay. And then you'd go back to the question, is this a good life? <laughs> Heck, I changed my behavior. I'm following the Ten Commandments, and I still am in fear of death. Right. Is that the good life? No. no. Well, I mean, Jesus did everything right in the world. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't have any bad behavior. Where did he end up? On the cross. Crucified. Hmm. I mean, it's one of the things he was making foolish. Because that's the wisdom of the world, mm-hmm. right? If you can make the right decisions, if you can do the right that's thing. That's an excellent point. If he you ended can, up in the grave. Yeah, if you can love right, be kind, if you can do all those things, then you can build yourself a good life. To use the first man, Adam, you can clothe yourself in the fruit of God's life. Yes. Right? You can build yourself a beautiful life, that, a life that's so good looking you're so good looking. That's what Becky and I say to each other when we sneeze. <laughs> From Seinfeld. Because you know? they don't say bless you or, or gesundheit. They say, you're so good looking. And so that's what we say. You can, by your ability to make the right decision, to love perfectly, to pray perfectly, to be kind, to never sin against anybody, mm-hmm. to never do anything wrong, you can build yourself a, a life that's so beautiful it will fill you with peace and love and joy. Right? Jesus come and tested that for us. He's like a scientist, right? We're going to conduct an experiment in these guys' eyes because that makes sense to these guys. These guys all, when they hear that, they think yes, 
Right? How many of you have ever been tormented thinking you made the wrong decision? Yeah. Why did it torment you that you think you made the wrong decision? What did you think you could gain by the right decision? What do you think you lost by the wrong decision? Right? Right? You, obviously, you wouldn't be tormented if it was, didn't carry some heavy significance. Right. And so you were, you, it betrays our thinking that we, clearly in our thought, thoughts, we think that we can find life by making good decisions, and that if we make bad decisions, we lose life. That's the wisdom in the world. Right? Now, don't say that there's no value in being led by the wisdom that's from above, right? And being led by the abundance of eternal life in your heart, right? But it's not in the context that the world would say. And so Jesus came, he saw that makes sense to us. In fact, even as I say this to Thomas's point, the church barely even understands what it is we believe and what we say. And I don't mean us specifically, but I mean in the world. Every single person in here thinks, yeah, it sounds right. If I make the right decisions, I can have a good life. If I make the wrong decisions, I'll have a bad life. Everybody in here, the inclination is, yes, it's true. It's true. Well, Jesus is like, we can't just tell these cats that ain't true. They ain't going to believe it, right? We're going to put it on display. We're going to come as a good little scientist, and we're going to perform an experiment. And Jesus, you'll come into the earth, and you'll make every right decision. You'll make no wrong decisions. You'll never do anything wrong. You'll never commit any sin. In every situation, you'll be filled with love and kindness and, and peace and joy. You'll do everything the right way. You'll go all the, to all the right places, and then we'll let them see what the world gives. And where did Jesus end up? Nailed to a tree. Right? So he's, he made foolish the idea that you could gain life from the world's way of living by the knowledge of good and evil, which that's just a symptom of the knowledge of good and evil. If you haven't read Maurice's book yet, go read it. For anybody listening to this later or watching it, if you haven't read Maurice's book, go read it. What's the name of the book again? The Lie. The Lie. He, he does a great job of hitting on the knowledge of good and evil and how that got into the earth and the way it affects our thinking. Right? So Jesus come and demonstrated, even should you be able to never do the evil, even should you always only ever do the good, the best you're going to get in the world system by doing that is this, death, death. Right. the death of the cross. Right? right? And so he, he comes and makes it real clear what, what you can gain mm. by yeah. the death of the cross. When you think about it, that, that's where everybody goes. Everybody ends up dying that's right. physically. Yeah. So listen, the only cure for mankind's ills is to have that cured. That's right. To have death cured. That's what. That listen. is the answer to man's problem. That's it. Listen, I told the Buddhist monks that I went and met with. I said Buddha died. So all his isms, Buddhisms, didn't give him life. It didn't keep him from dying. Right. Right. And so even should listen. I don't need to meditate to have peace. I can just go sit by the ocean and listen to the water every day. And I'll feel peace. But even should I go sit by the ocean and hear the water every day and feel peaceful every single day and think this is a nice life. The sun is shining on my skin. I got a nice tan. I look good on camera. Oh, hallelujah. Those things are nice, but I'm still going to end up dead in the grave. And so to Thomas's point, where is the good life? Right. Right. And that's really what Paul's talking about when he says I'm crucified with Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. Nevertheless, I still live. Yet not I, it's the very life that manifested in Jesus when he came out of the grave that is dwelling in me. You know, you can paraphrase it this way. Um, this isn't going to last, but I'm going to last. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to last, but I'm going to last. And that's what Paul, he, Paul's really talking about the fellowship of sufferings. When he says, I was crucified with Christ. Yeah, yeah. What he's saying is, I see in this guy Jesus. 
right? That this guy, Jesus, had an idea about where the good life is. And that this guy, Jesus' idea about a good life is a life that can't die. It's a life that can't be touched by sin and death. It's a life that even glorifies this human flesh with the immortal body that can never taste weakness or die ever again. And he sees that this guy, Jesus, on the cross didn't look to the world for that good life. He didn't suppose that the things in the world could serve him with that good life. He didn't think, if I can come down off this cross right now, then I can inherit the good life. Then I can have peace and love and joy. I don't know if you guys realize it. He could have come down off the cross. He could have. But he looked at what he could gain even if he did come off of the cross and he counted it as not being able to give him a good life. Because his, he was after a life that couldn't die. His flesh longed for a body that was glorified with immortality and that could never die again. Jesus could have performed a miracle and come down off that cross, and he still would have been in a perishable body. Yes. He would have gotten away from the cross, but he still would have had a perishable body. And so his body still would have needed to be glorified with immortality. He would have still needed a flesh that can't die. And so Jesus on the cross saw that the good life is actually found in the hand of the Father. That the only life that's good is the life that the Father has in himself. He looked at everything he could gain from the world, and he could have gained everything. He he could have been the greatest giant in the earth. He could have gotten all the kingdoms of the earth to himself. He could have gotten everything to himself. And he looked at that and said, that's not the good life. The good life is the life that I've had with the Father from the beginning. A life that can't die. A life that isn't subject to corruption or decay. A life that can even overcome the mortality in this body. A life that can even overcome sin and death in the flesh. That's the good life. That's why Jesus cried out, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? That's why he said that. And so Paul's like, Paul wants the good life, to your point. You know what everybody in this world wants? A good life. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants a good life. Some people have stronger ability. Or I don't even want to say stronger ability. Some people... Uh, be- better circumstances. Better circumstances. That's one thing. But some people work their ability. And so they think they're creating a good life. So they find the juice to keep doing it. Other people realize real quickly, that's not a good life. Mm-hmm. Working my ability. And they look destitute. Right? The, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Who looked like they had a good life? The rich man. The rich man. Who looked like they had a cursed life? Lazarus. Now, who was it that was in Abraham's bosom? Which means to inherit the blessing of Abraham, which is the promised spirit, which is the promise of the Father himself, which is eternal Eternal life. life. (laughs) Who is it that inherited that, Lazarus or the rich man? Lazarus. Well, Jesus is Lazarus. He says in the Psalms how the dogs are circling him. What was licking Lazarus' sores? The dogs, right? And so Jesus looked at all that. Paul saw that about Jesus. That's why he comes and says, I was crucified with Christ. And it's such a profound statement Paul's making. He's talking about something mystical in the sense that he died in Jesus. In the sense that all mankind was divorced from Adam in Jesus dying on the cross, right? right? That's absolutely true. Because for us to even be free to be married to another, which is Christ Jesus, our fellowship or our intimacy or our union to death had to be severed so we can eat from the tree of life. But Paul is talking there more specifically about fellowshipping with the faith that was in Jesus' heart when Jesus was on the cross. And Paul wanted a good life. And he saw that the good life he wanted, the world couldn't actually give it to him. Because he saw that no matter what he got, no matter what he gained, no matter what he heaped unto himself, remember he said, I'm, an Israel, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, right. circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, according to the righteousness in the law by the pharisaical way. I'm blameless. 
He, Paul had dual citizenship, Roman and Gentile citizenship. He was learned. He come from a rich family. He, he had all of the things that you could gain from the world. He had the best seats in the synagogue. He had the respect and the honor of all the men around him. He even had the respect and the honor of the Roman soldiers. Because the moment they wanted to take him and beat him, and he said, I'm a Roman citizen, what did those soldiers do? Backed off. Yeah. Talking about a little Jewish guy. Hands off. So he had the honor from the from man. And what he said was, it's vanity, just like Solomon said. Right. It's vain glory. It's not the glory or the honor that comes from God. And so Paul saw this guy, Jesus, didn't seek the honor that comes from a man. And he found that in not seeking the honor that comes from the world or that comes from a man, this guy, Jesus, inherited the honor that comes from God. Right. When the spirit of holiness raised him up out of the grave, never to die again, declaring him to be the son of God, having inherited the kingdom of God inside of his physical body. Mm. Paul saw that. And Paul started believing on the faith that was in Jesus' heart on the cross, which simply and primarily is... The good life isn't found in the world. Right. The good life isn't found in the things of the world. That doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy the things in the world. And that's what religion will do. Religion will hear me say, I don't want to say religion, because it perverts the way religion is used in the Bible. The carnal mind will say, yeah. or hear, when I say the things in the world can't give you a good life, the carnal mind will hear me say, well, I'll stop doing everything in the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, right. that's not what it means. Don't be a monk. Yeah, that's right. it doesn't mean to go be a monk. There's a difference between enjoying the things in the world, which all things were given for us to enjoy. There's a difference between enjoying the things in the world and thinking those things are the power unto life. Yes. Or those things are the power unto peace and love and joy. Or those things are the power unto an immortal body that can never die again. Mm. Right? And Paul saw in Jesus the only thing that could satisfy his flesh. Right? Yes. He talked about touch not, taste not, handle not. It has an appearance of wisdom. It looks wise. Right. All people can agree if you could just use your discipline, stop eating that food. Just use your discipline. Go to the gym. Just use your discipline. Do this. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Sounds very wise, but he goes on to say it's of no satisfying to the flesh. Right. What is he saying there? He's saying touch not, taste not, handle not can never actually cause your flesh to stop lusting after life. Mm. It can never put your flesh to rest. Do you know why? Because you know what your flesh wants? Your flesh wants to live and not die. Yeah. Why do you think we don't like it when we grow real old? Yeah. Why do you think we moan and groan about our bodies breaking down? That's right. So Becky and I were lamenting funnily this morning because she's walking around in a boot. Right? And we're growing to be 50. And we hear ourselves moaning, like I go work out in the yard for a weekend. That never used to feel like anything. Now I'm moving all these stones, and now i got this muscle pull underneath my ribs. And so every time I bell, you know, you hear us across the house, man. That groaning that's coming out of my mouth, you know what it is? It's this body groaning for immortality. It's this body groaning to put off weakness and to be clothed in strength. That's what Paul saw. That's what can satisfy my body. Being a Hebrew never satisfied my flesh. Be, circumcised the eighth day, that never satisfied my flesh. Performing the works of the law, it never satisfied my flesh. I was still all the time filled with covetousness. I never found contentment. And then he saw what his flesh always longed for in the resurrected man Jesus when he encountered him on the road to Damascus. And in that very moment, when he saw the glory of God shining in the body of this man Jesus who was nailed to a cross, do you know what he said? That's it. That's what I've been wanting that's what my heart cries out for. That's what my flesh longs for, right? To overcome the death in this world, 
to find the very glory of God, the very glory that used to manifest in the wilderness, in the physical temple. That's what I'm desiring. I'm desiring for my body to be the temple of the living God, where God himself has come to sup with me, and the death in this world passes over me. And he saw Jesus shining like a light. That meant something to a good little Jewish boy. When he saw Jesus shining like that, I promise you his first reference point is the temple in the wilderness where the fire of God's life, the spirit of God would come down into the temple and dwell in the temple. Paul saw Jesus as the temple of God. And he saw that God always intended to indwell a human being. And to make a human being his temple. And Paul's like, that sounds nice. All of a sudden, Paul saw the good life. Right? He saw what the good life was. Then he went back to, how did he inherit the good life? Because according to the wisdom of the world, the strength of the flesh, the wisdom of the world, being wise according to the world, being looking strong according to the world, looking noble according to the world, according to that wisdom, the wisdom that told us that that was the power unto a good life, this guy didn't have any of that when he was nailed to a tree. He was the, he was the, the weakest according to the world. He was the stupidest according to the world. How does he end up nailed to a tree? And there was no nobility in him according to the world. It says there was nothing to be esteemed about this guy. There was no beauty to be seen in this guy, Jesus. And so his hands were nailed to a tree. So he could do no good work to end up glorified on the road to Damascus. So Paul immediately sees, oh my goodness, this guy simply called upon the name of the Lord. Right. This guy called upon the Father and committed his desire for life into the Father's hands. He looked to the Father for life instead of the strength in the world, the things in the world, the strength in his flesh. He considered the Father and the life that's in the Father. He considered that life is found in the Father. And this guy ended up glorified with immortality. Mm. And all of a sudden, Paul's flesh was like, can we get some of that? <laughs> Listen, like Annette made that blueberry lemon cake. Yeah. Right? She yeah. put that on Facebook. And immediately, you know what my flesh said immediately? I want can, some. can I get some of that? Yeah, right. I mean, I put a little Scooby-Doo me with this tongue all slapping around. You know? Well, that's what Paul's flesh, the bread of life. Right? Our flesh hungers. We hunger and we thirst. And you know what we hunger and thirsting after? We're hungering and thirsting after a life that is incorruptible, that cannot die, right. that even should it encounter the hard problems in this world, that life will raise us up over it. Yeah. This life, even should you end up in the grave, will actually pull you out of the grave in glorified immortal flesh, and you're going to inherit a glorified earth with no death in it. Mm. That's what Paul saw. That's what he thought was nice. That's what he's talking about. I was crucified with Christ. That's what it means when he says in Romans 12, become a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world. Living sacrifice. Notice how that's eerily the same language as I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yeah. I was sa a sacrifice with Christ, yet I'm living a living sacrifice. He goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What renewing of your mind? That you see the wisdom in the world can't serve you with life. You see that the world can't father for you a good life. Neither can the things in the world father for you a good life. But what you see is the life that's in the Father is the only thing that can satisfy your desire for long life. And what happens is, is you're transformed in the twinkling of an eye. 
Because all of a sudden, you're no longer trying to gain life through your own works, through your jobs, through your relationships, through your bank accounts, through the things going right for you in the world, through the governments getting it right, through all that stuff. You're no longer looking to the world trying to gain life, but you're living from the foundation of, I have all things that pertain to life now. Outside of any of this. That's what he means. Yet, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life of Christ is in me. I've inherited all things. Right? right? I've inherited God himself. Mm-hmm. Which is what it means to be the children of God. Paul come and said in Romans 8, that, and if uh, heirs, if you're children, then you're heirs. And he says, heirs of what? Heirs of God. You've inherited God. Listen, man, if you really persuaded that you have inherited all of God, I promise you, you're not looking to inherit anything from the world. Exactly. Even should your, your mom and your dad write you out of the will, you'll find yourself rejoicing. You'll count it all joy. Mo. I was going to say, you know, when I, when I look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, there is a, this parallel scripture when Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, where he says this, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That that life that was in him, that that life must yeah. be in us, and actually in all of us. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought in complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as much as you have loved me. Mm. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love that you have for me might be in them and I myself might be in them. Mm. Listen, when you're made one with that life, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah. No lack. Nothing. You lack nothing. No lack at all. See, that's that's a picture of marriage and a coming together. Amen. I know myself when... We think in images, we think in pictures. If I say dog, you don't see D-O-G, you see a dog, right? So, well, pronounce D-A-U-G? <laughs> I think it was D-O-G, but it not D-A-U-G. It takes us a minute. It takes us a minute. It's a dog. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. People in Louisiana are going to make that. That's a dog. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> But anyway, because I wrestled with the verse you brought up you yeah, know, in the right? beginning, and 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 when I'm when I'm when I'm when I'm meditating on this and twisting on it, I'm I'm looking for an image, so that when I come across it, it's like a default. My mind will just go to the picture because my mind can't go to, you know, the big explanation yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. But what I find is the big explanation will come from the image and seeing it. Yeah. So I'm looking for an image in that, and I'm looking for, and also verses like putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And so I'm thinking crucified with Christ. What was going on when he was crucified? God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Right. And so the best image that I, and, and, and I'm always open to my images being refined, and it happens quite often, 
But when it comes to this, this one stuck with me for several years, and that's just the image of marriage. I've like I no longer have me. There's no longer a me. There's a us. Just like when I married Annette, I'm still an individual, but I don't do anything without considering her. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg could say, "Hey, come over to the su- uh, come over and eat supper tonight," and I'd be like, "Let me check with Annette." <laughs> there, there's no such thing as not considering that. So to be crucified with Christ is like. I'm in this union with him, and I don't do anything without considering him. Right. And that doesn't mean considering what he would do. Yeah. It means considering that he is eternal life, which is what what Maurice just read, Jesus was praying, that you, I have given them the glory you've given me. The glory the Father gave Jesus was his life. And Jesus said, the Father has life in himself, and he has given me that I would have life in myself, right? And so the the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God's life, and that is the glory of God, the spirit of his life. And Jesus came that we might have that same life, right? Heather, what were you going to say? Do you remember? I was just going to say the concept is so simple, yet we complicate it so terribly. One of the things that complicates, and I get frustrated with this, is the church world. That's what I'm saying. The The church church world, yeah, comes with so many erroneous uh, surmisings about the scriptures that it's like Thomas, like Thomas comes in, let's just talk about the simple truth, the good life, right? And yeah, uh, amongst Thomas and I, we can just sit and talk about the good life. We know what we're talking about. But there's like a whole world filled with people that have been churched wrongly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by churched wrongly is they've been taught these verses. And they know all the verses, and they've been taught very wrong things about the verses. And so it's like this, this wrangling or this weighing. How much time do you spend, right, correcting the verses? And how much time do you spend, you know, just speaking in layman's terms? Because you're dealing with a whole different subsect of people, right? And it's like, that's one of the things I pray about all the time. Because I find myself, sometimes I'm just like, ah, oh, who cares? But other times I can feel it. Right, like I'm gonna go off into all these verses, and I know it's good, and I know the life is in that, and I know it needs to be done. But then I know there's a whole bunch of people that are gonna get lost in all the verses. What does that mean? What's he saying? You know, and it's gonna sound too theological. And it's like you you want to feed everybody, but both are necessary. That's why I love what you said. That relates to the other part of our conversation, and and that is, uh, okay, well you hear about this good life. Well, I'm not feeling it. (laughs) You know, where's the good life for me? How does that happen to me? And churchianity will teach Galatians 2.20 is something you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you bet. But we've just been discussing the last 25 minutes about how it's something that happens to you. Right. How does it happen to you? It happens to you by way of persuasion. Mm-hmm. Well, how long does that take? Mm-hmm. That's the next question. We talked about that. How long does that take? <laughs> I'm not feeling it. I want that lesson to be over so I can experience the good life. Right. So I said to Callie, uh, well, uh, do you know your ABCs? And she just smiled and said, yeah. So, so you could recite your ABCs right now. I said, yeah. Well, how long did it take you to learn your ABCs? Don't even, you don't even think about it anymore. Right. When you're on the other side of persuasion, you don't think about how long it took the persuasion to come. Exactly. Right. No. Right. It's like a woman with a baby. You know, she's thinking, when's this baby going to be out of me? When that baby's out of her in her arms, she's not thinking about how long it took the baby to be there. She's experiencing the joy of the baby in her arms. Right. <coughs> But we're, we're on this side of the persuasion where we're still being uh, uh, deceived by the teachings of the world that you can have life from the world. Uh, that's, that can be 
obviously all of us can say that can be pretty frustrating, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. E- even that though, that's still their oh, surmise. I got one other thing to say. Go ahead. And that is, but that frustration itself is passing away. Yeah. That's another thing of the world that's passing away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I had my first kidney stone, I thought I was dying. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was an alien hand ripping my organs apart. <laughs> and it was hurting. Uh, and to, I was telling Jay, to the extent they even had to call security on me. Because I went berserk in the emergency room. I was out of my mind with pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was before I was born again. Uh, years later, I had another kidney stone. And it hurt. I can't say it, it hurt any less. But I, could, I just had this mindset, well, it hurts now, but this is passing away. Mm. So the hurt, the fear, the frustration, the confusion, the disappointment, all the things that we don't like to feel, all that too is passing away. Mm. The lack of understanding, it's passing away. The lack of persuasion, it's It's passing passing away. That's true. So when, as Greg described Paul's, uh, Saul at that point, seeing Jesus in glorified form, how, how, how long did it take persuasion to come in that encounter? In an instant. Right. <laughs> in an instant. Right. In the twinkling of an eye. Yeah. Even that's still, still the, the surmisings of the carnal mind. And there's no shame in that. But that's still destination-minded. Right? You're, you're still working God like he's a program. Right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're trying to get somewhere, and the thing you're using to get somewhere is God. And that doesn't mean you won't get somewhere. It doesn't mean you won't end up finding contentment. But if that's what your mind is filled with while you're just walking with God, you're missing the beauty of God being with you in every single moment. Right. You're missing the beauty of interacting with God. And there's a lot of beauty in interacting with God. So it's not, my mind isn't filled with where I need to get or what I don't have now or what I'm lacking in, but my mind is filled with God with me. And so if I feel frustrated or upset or tormented, I'm not thinking about how I need to get away from that. Immediately what I'm thinking of is just sharing that with him, right? And I find that alleviates it. But it's still the the carnal mind that's trying to get you somewhere. If you're walking with God in the cool of the day, you're already there. And the idea that you're not there and you need to get somewhere is looking at it not from above. It's looking at it from below, right? And it will serve you with pain. And it will leave you on the hamster wheel because you're still just trying to get somewhere. Right? Instead of just engaging with God with me, right? Right here, right now. And then been being present in the moment. You're 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 future minded. You're not being present. You're not present right here, right now. And it's like you can miss the beauty of God with you right now. And the beauty of the God, right, that is with you right now, that is actually in you right now, that actually is forming himself in his very life in you right now. Right? That's walking with God in the cool of the day, where you see all things are already created, where you see all things are, are done. The reason Adam was walking with God in the cool of the day is because everything was already made. He wasn't thinking of, when will it be made? The baby's born. The baby's born. Right? right? right. And so the, 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 the faith that we're talking about, I mean, you got, we talked about this, but the faith, John begins his gospel, within the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Paul, not Paul, John is drawing on Genesis 1, which we read it according to time. But I don't know if you guys realize that that's before time. That verse would actually be before time. And so it has no time connotation when it says, in the beginning, God. 
It has no time connotation. There wasn't any time yet. He's the one who's outside of time. And so what it's saying is God, the chief of life, the father of everything that exists. Right. That's what it's talking about. The God, the chief of everything that exists, everything that has breath, got its breath from this. Right? Well, that's how John describes Jesus. That's why he goes on to talk about Jesus creating all things. And without him was nothing made that was made. He's talking about that which is the father of life. That which has life in himself. The very life that is so much that he has in himself that created everything back in Genesis. That has put on human flesh and dwelled with us. The faith of God created everything. So when we're thinking, even if we're thinking that we need life formed in us, we need persuasion formed in us, we don't want our mind to become filled with how is it going to get formed in us, when is it going to be formed in us, how long till it's formed in us. We just want our mind to behold the thing that forms it. Right? And that's Jesus. That's the faith. You behold the faith and the faith is forming its life in you. Just like Paul said that the faith created everything that exists. That the spirit of faith created everything. God who called forth light out of the darkness by the spirit of faith. It's his spirit of faith that creates all things. That spirit of faith was made flesh in Jesus. Yes. Right? So if we're desiring life to be formed in us, to use our language, if we want life to be served to us, then we're going to behold the faith. You, to, right? To, to, to give you an image, it's like a seed's been planted, and you might not see the sprout yet, but it's there. It's there. Yeah. yeah right. You know, I, I was thinking about... Um, you know, when you think about Christianity in the world and what it, what it basically does every, all the time is it sifts through the scriptures seeking to put things together to make them work, to kind of like make you work. But the way the scriptures ought to be viewed is like something that you put in this big funnel you throw all the entire word of God into this big old container and it comes out into a funnel and at the bottom just this one little drop falls out and that drop is Christ and him crucified mm -hmm. Amen. that all of the scriptures point to one thing and that's that we have the life right. we have the life of God living in us and he, he has provided us with everything we need that's for right. life and godliness and, and when you have that life and you know you have that life, then it begins to help you understand the scriptures. Paul says that they're forever uh, seeking but never attaining to, to, to the knowledge of God. Yeah. And, and that is what you see in the world is people seeking after. And it's okay to do that because eventually they come to know the truth. But the truth is, it has been accomplished. Amen. And yep. we have, we Amen. have the life. Amen. The, the, good. You talk about the, the life lived towards the, the goal of a destination. That's a life where you're, you're animated by lack. Yep. The lack is what is the motivation and the drive in your life to achieve all of those things. Yet, the other side of that is a life that's motivated by eternal life, where you know you have absolutely <clears throat> no lack at all. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It, it, so the, the, there's... There's what appears to be great contradictions, and they are contradictions if they're weighed with the carnal mind. And so we'll just use Paul. I don't know if you guys realize how many times Paul talks about being pressed beyond measure right. and being sorrowful unto death. Mm. Being so sorrowful, so pressed in upon by torment that he even thought, let me die. And then he puts next to that contentment. 
Right? So the carnal mind thinks that contentment equals the lack of torment. Right. So it interprets torment yeah. as the idea that I don't have something I need. Persuasion? Experience. Wait, wait, wait. Repeat that last sentence. I don't know what I said. <laughs> I don't know what I said. It, it describes torment as not having something I, I, I Persuasion. Need. If you say so. Yeah. But I'm going to lose this, the thought. Okay. I'll let, listen to the tape. I think I already lost it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, no, it's okay, it's man. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it, it is just it, really cool. It is what it is. Persuasion in experiencing <laughs> life doesn't equal a lack of ever feeling torment. Right. That's not what it equals. Right. So the idea that if torment or pressing in is present, that I somehow don't have persuasion, <laughs> or I'm somehow not experiencing the life of God, or life isn't present with me, that's the surmisings of the carnal mind. Right. right. And the difference between those things is you'll heap sorrow upon sorrow. Or, if you recognize that dynamic, and you're fellowshipping with the truth, then what will happen is, is that sorrow will go away from you. Mm. Right? And so, I say this all the time, the presence of weakness does not equal the lack of strength. Amen. The presence of stress does not equal the lack of life. And so, we're not trying to get to the place where we're never going to feel stress again. We're not trying to get to the place where we never feel pressed in on again. We're not trying to get to the place where we can never be tormented by anything again. That isn't consistent with us being in this world where there's death in the world. Mm. God himself put on our skin suits. Jesus is God. God himself put on our skin suit. Was he thinking that he wasn't where he needed to be when he sweat blood? No. What about when he hungered? He hadn't eaten in 40 days or drank in 40 days. No. Okay. I mean, listen, that was a big deal for me because I'm a perfectionist. And I remember I had this... Uh, this belief in me that the presence of God equals no presence of pain yeah. or discomfort. Mm -hmm. And what it, what it did inside of me is every time I felt discomfort or anxiety or pressed in upon God. or it's anything, God. God. It, 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 it told me God isn't here right. and I don't have what I need. Yeah. Right? And I, I remember I had everything. I even had already started the church and I was lamenting with God. You know? Where's the unbelief? Because I knew I was beautiful to God. I knew. Where's the unbelief, Lord? Right? Yeah. He, he said, have you considered the resurrection? Right? And then, <laughs> in that whole process, he took me to Jesus when Jesus was sweating blood. And he said, do you think Jesus was in unbelief now? Because he sweat blood. Do you think Jesus was in unbelief because he felt uncomfortable on the cross? Did that now mean the lack of faith? Did that now mean the lack of life? No. Right? And it's like, what is your belief in that moment? And that's one of the beliefs that need to be cast down. And when you talk about a belief being cast down, that's what Paul talked about when he said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, right? Because we were so long filled with the penal substitution mindset, which is God wanted us to perform the law, but we couldn't perform the law. So we sent Jesus to perform the law. And now let all your thoughts be captive by the fact that Jesus performed all the law for you. That's not what that's talking about. When it's taking all your thoughts captive to Christ, to the obedience of Christ, he's talking about Christ, the wisdom of God. And what he's saying is, is bring your thoughts 
and put them next to the wisdom of God, the wisdom that was revealed in Jesus, the Word made flesh in Jesus, the faith that came in Jesus. Put all your thoughts about life in God and yourself in this world. Put it next to the faith that was revealed in Jesus, right? Because that faith will now discern your thoughts and tell you whether they be true or not. So I had this thought that the presence of weakness was the lack of strength. The presence of discomfort and uncomfortableness was the lack of God. The presence of stress and torment was the lack of peace, right? I don't have what I need if I feel this way. Well, that God, I didn't even get it right to bring that thought to God. God brought the thought to me, right? And he said, well, let's put that next to Jesus. Was Jesus in unbelief? Well, that was easy. No, he's not in unbelief. Then why do you keep saying, Lord, help my unbelief? Because you feel stressed out. Guess what? I'm God. And when I put on your skin suit and I felt death, I sweat blood. God. Right? And so immediately I stopped despising myself for the feeling of discomfort. And immediately I stopped judging myself as not having life when I felt tormented by something. That did this amazing thing inside of me where instead of praying with God about getting what I didn't have and how can I get it and what's wrong, why don't I have it, I just started connecting with God from the heart about what I felt. Because I realized He knows. He felt the same thing. And so now I had a support group with God. And so I just talked with God about the torment that I felt. And I connected with Him. Well, something beautiful happens. There's comfort for you when you do that in your torment. You feel embraced by the love of God. Right? And all of a sudden, you don't find yourself feeling you lack anything anymore. Because you feel the warm embrace of God. Right? I mean, Jesus. This whole dynamic I just described is, is in Jesus. When the bulls of Bashan circled around him in Psalm 22, and they're gaping on him with their mouth, and his bones are being pulled out of their sockets, and he feels his mouth is dry, and he's feeling all discomfort. Well, Psalm 23 starts with, The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. Well, what do you think all those things were trying to tell him? This pain you feel, this discomfort you feel, the death of this cross, it's a sign that you don't have what you need for life. It's a sign that your life is being overcome. It's a sign that faith isn't present with you, that God isn't present with you. But then that thought that was coming to Jesus, guess what? It was taken captive. Just like the obedience of Christ. That thought that came to him was taken captive by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, that interceded in his heart in that place. And he began to say, you have not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one. Neither is your faith. You start, this cross does not mean you ain't here. This cross does not mean your face ain't shining on me. This cross does not mean that I don't have what I need for life. And then all of a sudden, what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. That's still Jesus, yes. right? And he's describing the dynamic. That's what I've felt in my life, right? Just from seeing that, it's been born in me. That's the faith forming within you, the very faith of Christ. Paul talked about faith we're God's workmanship and God forming Christ within us. He's not just talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about God forming within us the very thoughts of Christ, the yeah. very views of Christ, the very sight of Christ, yeah. and that that brings forth the life of God. Right. And so now, listen, I still feel tormented, and you know what? I ain't trying to get away from the torment anymore because I no longer judge the torment to mean that I'm separated from what I need to have life. Mm. Right? And so then, instead of focusing on what I need, what I need, what I don't have, what I need, what I don't have, I begin focusing on God that knows. Yeah. And I start talking with him about how I feel, which is what Jesus is doing in Psalm 22. And so you'd be much better served with talking with God about what you feel and why you feel it than you would be about thinking that you don't have what you need. Right? And you'll find yourself comforted in that place. 
And what ends up happening when you start talking with God about what you're experiencing, the torment, the hurt, the shame, whatever it might be, what will start happening is the Holy Spirit will intercede in your heart and the Holy Spirit will start guiding you to the place where you see life is not found in those things anyway. And you'll start seeing that life is only found in the Father. And the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father. And you'll find yourself saying, the Lord is the shepherd of my life. I do not lack. Whatever it is you think you don't have, that can't shepherd your life. Right? Right? And you start dwelling there. And listen, nobody, I think nobody exasperated that the presence of weakness is the absence of strength more than me. Like, I mean, my whole Christian life, I lived there. Mm. Probably four years into the church, I lived there. So you're talking like three years old to like 40 years old. I interpret it life that way. And it leaves you destination minded. Instead of God conscious, you're destination conscious. And you're still wrapped up in a hamster wheel. You're not filled with patience, right? Which is the the nice sounding word for long suffering. Because we hear the word long suffering. I don't want to suffer long. Well, that's not what it means. Long-suffering in our vernacular would be patience, right? That we're filled with patience on account of seeing we have all things that pertain to life and godliness now, right? right? So we're not growing weary or fainting in our mind, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, that, all that's found in the faith. Yeah. And you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Mm. That's right. That's right. It sounds to me like an immunity response that something happens without my effort in me. Mm-hmm. That's a good picture. You, you, that's why we, I mean, I posted today that uh, the hearing of faith is the power of God unto salvation. Right? And most people don't even know what that means in the, in, the, in, in the normal world or in the Christian world. But if God created everything by the faith, he formed everything by the faith, how do you think he's going to shape your heart? How you think he's going to shape what you believe? How you think he's going to shape the life you're experiencing? It's going to be through the faith. Mm. And guess what all he's trying to get you to do? Walk with him in the cool of the day, which means sit at the feet of Jesus and behold the faith. Right. Examine the faith, right? Sit with each other. Talk about the faith. Examine the faith. Talk with each other about your hurt, your confusion, mm. your pain, your doubts. Talk with each other about all those things and examine those things in light of the faith. Right, and that will be unto you salvation. It doesn't just—it's not about avoiding hell and going to heaven. God's coming to the earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. You know, it's a a disarming question to ask someone. Have you considered? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you considered? Have you considered the faith? It wasn't disarming for me when God first. I, I agree with you. I'm just lamenting. I'm just talking about it like a, I'm always thinking in terms of a casual conversation no, no, you, with, yeah. with a stranger. Instead of saying, man, what you believe is messed up. <laughs> saying, have you considered? <laughs> like those ladies you came across with this, <laughs> the gifts of the Spirit. Thomas, but you're like Nathaniel, right? And I'm a stiff-necked person, so when God asked me, have you considered the resurrection lately, Greg? I mean, I was angry for a good month or so with him. What the hell you... I mean, this is how I talk to God. You guys have to forgive me if my language offends you. I'm just being honest. What the hell are you talking about if I consider the resurrection? What do you think I've been doing? I've, I've already been to Bible school. Yeah. I've already started a church. What are you talking about, man? I mean, I've, have you listened to my Easter messages? You know, I mean, you're just like... It's this guy, you feel like this guy's messing with you, right? <laughs> and you don't like it. <laughs> right? But he wasn't messing with me, and what he was saying was the truth. 
right? Have I considered the resurrection? No, I was not considering the resurrection. You know what I was considering? The deadness I saw everywhere. Yeah. That's what I was considering. The deadness I saw everywhere. Guess where the power to experience sonship is found? In the resurrection. In the resurrection. You know why? Because that's where the life of the Father manifested. Yeah. So if you're all the time considering the deadness you see around me, guess what the world, the world's the father of deadness. And so guess what type of life you're going to experience? The kind of life that the world is fathered. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, really, it's really that simple. Right. I, I mean, I keep saying this, but we, we, we're in need of being reminded. Forgetful hearers, right? We forget to hear. I want to say it that way. Yeah. Because that's not how we look at it. Right. They were forgetful hearers because they forgot to keep hearing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an intellectual exercise like 2 plus 2, where you heard 2 plus 2 is 4, and then you went away, and then you forgot 2 plus 2 was 4. No, the way you're a forgetful hearer is you forget to keep hearing. Right? You grow weary in hearing the faith. That's what it's talking about. That's why I talk about that all the time. And I know we're in this, you know, suck, suck my thumb error in Christianity. I don't want to hear the faith. That sounds like a work. Okay, if you can't even bother to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and engage with what was revealed in Jesus, which is God himself, listen, man, then you got bigger problems than thinking that hearing the faith is a work. You got bigger problems, right? You got bigger problems than that. That's growing weary and doing good. Yes, it is growing weary and doing good, Linda. You hit the nail on the head. That's why the author of Hebrews, after he talked about not growing weary and fainting in your mind, and he talked about looking unto Jesus, when he talked about the chastisement of the Lord, which is the Lord correcting our sight, he doesn't come and tell you, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. He sees what we're looking at. He sees what we're considering as serving us with death. And he comes to cause us to consider something else. So he comes and says, what, what are you looking at? Let's look at this. And that's why the author of Hebrews, right after that, in the very next chapter, do you know what he says? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right. Exhorting one another unto love. Mm -hmm. Is what he says. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Oh, well, that's a sin in the Grace Church now, to say that. Well, I don't have to be there. Well, you're still carnal. <laughs> Because what I said it ain't nothing to do with whether you have to be here. Right? It's about what happens while you're here. It's about coming together and considering Jesus. And all of us, by coming with a word or coming with a portion of what we see, when Thomas comes and, and, and shares, when Jay shares, when Heather shares, when Matt shared, when Marie shared, when Linda shared just now, do you know what that is? It is exhorting us unto the love of God. Yes. We're all being exhorted unto the love of God mm -hmm. right now, right? And so it's not something you got to do for God to bless you. It's just a gathering together, right, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear the faith. Because that faith will form inside of you the very life of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I got it. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. I'm late. Thank you. Thank you. What I'm going to remember is that God is not dog spelled backwards. <laughs> no. No. G W A 